G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You might know the historic story from the book of Acts, where Philip meets an Ethiopian and explains the scriptures, revealing Jesus and baptizes him in water. So the gospel has had a long history with the Ethiopian people, right back to the first century. Some insights into Christianity in Ethiopia today, where the mission organization called SIM is working. This year, SIM is celebrating 125 years of making disciples where Christ is least known. And one of those serving in mission with SIM is Australian missionary Paul Lukens, who with his wife Carol and four children have been working amongst the Mercy people. It's a nomadic and unreached people group in southern Ethiopia. Paul Lukens is joining us. Hello, Paul. Welcome along to 2020. Good day, Neil. Thanks. Paul, let me just start with the pronunciation of the tribal group that you're working with because I'm not sure I got it right in the introduction. How do you pronounce the tribal group of Ethiopians that you worked with? The Highland Ethiopians call it the Mursi. Mursi. Okay. <laughs> okay, so when you describe the pronunciation, what do you say you put the emphasis on? Well, you've got to be able to trill your R's, like an engine in a vehicle. But uh, the it's written M-U-R. That's not an er sound, which it is in English. For that language group, it's U sound. So it's a Mursi, just to confound things. All right, give me one little practice, the Morsi. Did I get it right? That's pretty good. It's not Morsi. It's more like Morsi, Morsi. Okay, well, maybe we'll get another practice in before the end of our conversation. <laughs> Listen, you've been working with this group for something like 15 years and back home now because you've got a few family needs at hand, but in 15 years you'd become part of the furniture, wouldn't you, within the tribe? They certainly are familiar with having us white people around amidst very black faces. And we do contrast because we own laptops and we live in a basic house, whereas they live in grass huts and they walk everywhere because there are no roads in that area. So, yes, we're very contrastive, but we feel very at home there. Is there still a group or remnant of people in Ethiopia that can trace their history back to Philip and the Ethiopian, that story we read about in the book of Acts? Is that something that, you know, is a priority for people to connect to? I think that day has probably passed. You're probably aware that uh, there were people taken out of Ethiopia um, over two decades ago now and repatriated to Israel. Uh, They were called black Jews and they saw themselves as truly Jewish. But when they arrived in Israel, they discovered they had very little in common with people of Israel. Culturally, they were totally Ethiopian. So where that came from, who knows? There's no documentation for such things because Ethiopia does not have a written history until European settlement. Uh, Their own language was not written down until about eight or 900 AD. 
So a lot of these things are just lost to posterity. And many of those people who went to Israel are now back in Ethiopia. And Paul, how do you describe the entire Ethiopian people? Because from my understanding, there's been huge revival in uh, some parts of Africa and uh, other parts perhaps still struggling in the whole context of all of Africa. How's the spirituality of the Ethiopian church going? There are some absolutely wonderful things happening and they have been since the first recent missionaries went there in 1927. There is, of course, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Christian Church, which has been there for many centuries, but it's a very superstitious denomination and it was limited to mainly northern Ethiopia where King Haile Selassie and his forebears had operated. And this is the most literate part of the country, but most Ethiopians still don't read and write, including the priests. In the Mordesi area, that is where the gospel has taken off. So yes, there would be two church denominations, each with seven or eight million members each out of a country of 100 million. And one of those churches has arisen through the work of SIM. But it is not a well-taught church because most people still don't read and write. And for many years, there was not a Bible in their language or in one of their languages. There are actually 86 languages in Ethiopia. So it's a complex thing to teach people and the gospel accurately. And just wonderful to hear you reflecting on that. And the work of missionaries is not an easy task. In fact, you've got to be a pretty sophisticated person in some sense to get your head around all of the different nuances of actually ministering in a culture. That is, as I understand, it's a nomadic culture. It's considered to be still an unreached people group. As you say, a 100 million people in Ethiopia a couple of really strong churches, but living amongst the people, what does it feel like? Uh, You certainly need to be humble because if you're not, once you get there, you'll be humbled by the circumstances. Uh, It doesn't matter how well prepared you are when you're dealing with a totally different culture and languages that have no similarity to Latin-based languages like English from Europe then you've got a lot of learning to do, and most of it happens through hardship. I've found it quite challenging. It's handy at times to be a blockhead, and really, you start all over again. Those people we worked with live in the bush. They're semi-nomads. Their cattle are everything to them, and we just don't have an understanding of their lifestyle. They don't know anything about degrees and education, and they couldn't care less what we represent. So we don't start with any advantages in their eyes. We've got to gain credibility because we love and care for them because that's the brief of scriptures we have the word of god we have the gospel of christ we know it's precious to us we've got to convince them that their god who has who is weak with evil spirits also needs to have the true god of the bible well paul i always love to talk to long-term missionaries because a lot of missionary endeavor today is short-term people going off on a a couple of weeks, sometimes an extended tour of a month. But you've been, in 15 years, been part of the the Morzi people. And in 15 years, you get time to learn the language, learn the culture. As you say, you become quite an accepted part of the community, white skin and all. And what about the opportunities that then are created? Because you say, well, they don't even care what you think or what you know. But how does an opportunity to share the gospel and to contribute to people's lives happen in that sort of setting? 
well, maybe a bit of history there would help. We were not the first missionaries who went there. There were people who predated us by over 10 years. And so they had to do hard work of learning language just by listening. So what we did, and we emulated some of them, we just sat down with local people on a log because they don't have houses, they don't have furniture. We just sat under a tree. It's always hot. You need shade. And we listened to them, and they would talk. And then we tried to catch on what they were saying. But they very quickly could target us and say, but why have you come here? When they'd see a bit of what we represented, why would you leave your country, your family, and your cattle, as they saw it, and come here to us? And so worldviews came up for discussion. And we were very happy to talk about our worldview versus their worldview, where they lived in fear of evil spirits. And when you start to talk about the evil spirits, I imagine there, you know, when you say evil spirits, there must be people like witch doctors or whatever in that culture. Is that the way that it works? And you bring in a Christian uh, worldview idea and countering that. How do you how do you present in that type of situation? That's correct. So uh, witch doctors or ritual priests are the norm throughout Africa, really. And they used to be through Asia, too, prior to the gospel really getting a hold there in Europe, I should say. So most of us who have European background, we actually came out of a similar background. But yes, they, you don't have to convince them that God exists and he's real. What they need to know is the God of the Bible and the truth of the Bible because they have no idea of reading that from nature. We know that we can't read from nature uh, that how Jesus, God's son, came down to earth to be offered as a sacrifice on the cross for us and to come alive again through the power of his Father and the work of the Spirit. Those things you can only discern through revelation in Scripture. So we would share Scripture with them. And so they didn't care about books because they don't read and write. They, they're a non-literate society. But very soon they say, but how do you know these things? And we'd say, look, here it is in this special book that God has given to us. He gave it to us thousands of years ago. And it's in our language. And we can tell you what it says if you would like. And so we would start just translating a bit with their help and we went through the Gospel of Mark. So it was a great way for God to speak into their situation. There's a spiritual side of the work of mission. There's also a really humble, servant-hearted attitude that you have to have, no doubt. And so you've been working in areas where you've got a great contribution to make because you work in agriculture. There's a certain science connection to that. You've been teaching in some schools because they don't have too many science teachers amongst the people. Uh, but there's something else you do, and I would love to just pick up on this for a moment, Paul, because you actually have a vehicle. So if someone falls ill or there's an accident, you get to be like an ambulance driver. How does that work? Well, if you've got white skin like we do, they see you as a solvable to any problem that they might have. So they very quickly got onto the idea that we had connections and we had money. And it's true. So we would leave the country every three or four years for home assignment. Where were we going? We'd fly an aeroplane. Now, they had never seen one close up, but they'd seen them go overhead. So we could give them words uh, that helped them understand these things. So, yes, they then understood that we, if we're white, we're medical people or doctors to them or we were teachers when they finally decided they wanted to learn something. And so, yes, we helped in the clinic and we did some pretty surprising things to try and preserve life. Uh, sometimes we weren't successful, but by the grace of God, sometimes we were. 
Paul, for those who might be listening into our conversation today, I mean, for some, it just sounds like something we could never do. Uh, but others are saying, well, how do I get to be a missionary to a people group like the Morsi people? Uh, what sort of things, what sort of hoops do you have to jump through? What uh, qualifications do you have to have to be part of the SIM team and uh, serve in mission the way you have? It probably depends on where you choose to serve in mission because it varies as to the requirements necessary. If you need, want to work in a place like Ethiopia, the government want to make sure they need you there because they have unemployment and they would rather have Ethiopians taking every role in the country. So you need at least a four-year degree or maybe even a master's degree to gain a work permit for that country. Then you need also to have an agreed um policy with the government so that you can run a project which will benefit the government employees in your area and the local people. So you need a willingness to pursue that line of administration and mix that in with sharing God's word. So it can be multifaceted. Of course, there are many other parts of the world that people can serve where those things are not necessary. But in most situations, you need an openness to new cultures, um, things that you may not even approve of, of, to new food and to new language, where you're happy to ditch your language and try as much as possible to ditch your culture and just live with and absorb the culture and language of the people you are with so that they feel that they are truly loved and that is the way into the gospel anywhere you go, regardless of education or visas or whatever. Well, I know there'll be someone listening who says, I've been waiting to hear a conversation like this and waiting to be connected to an organisation like SIM. Let me give the website. It's sim.org.au to find out some more about serving in mission. Paul Lukens is our guest. Paul, really appreciate your great work. Honour you for your servant heart, for using your skills, your gifts in serving God in the way that you do amongst the Morsi people nomadic and unreached people group in southern Ethiopia. Appreciate you taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Uh, pleasure, Neil, and I love your pronunciation of Mordesi. Well done. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.